Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. I'd like to welcome all those in our South Campus. And I'd like to welcome those watching online and on demand. I hope you've had a wonderful day and I hope that, um, that this coming week's gonna be even better than last week. Uh, you know, I like to start with something funny. I heard about this minister that was driving down the road and he was stopped by a policeman. The policeman stepped over to the window and sm- thought he smelled some alcohol. And he looked at the minister and said, um, sir, what is that you're drinking? And he held up his thermos and said, oh, it's nothing but water. He said, oh, really? Let me, let me uh, take that. And he took it and he smelled it. And he looked at him and said, it smells like wine to me. And the minister looks and says, well, what do you know? Jesus did it again. Have you ever had an experience that was so incredible that you wanted to tell your friends about it? Maybe it was a visit to a restaurant. Maybe it was a vacation. And you wanted to tell your friends about it, but you just couldn't find the right words to say. It seems like everything that you tried to say uh, just didn't do it justice. Finally, in frustration, you said, well, you just got to see it for yourself. You know, some things in life need to be experienced, not explained. There's some things that you just can't explain. Jesus is actually one of those things. When Jesus started his public ministry, he gathered together uh, a group of guys that would eventually become his disciples, and he shared them his strategy. And his strategy was something very simple, come and see. Come and see for yourself. He wanted people to come and to experience Jesus himself. Well, today we're continuing our uh, spring series called Come and See. As we look at the work through the uh, gospel of John, last week we talked about Jesus' very first miracle, the first miracle that he ever performed. It was a miracle of acceleration when he turned the water into wine. That was John chapter two. Today, we're gonna turn the page and look at John chapter three. And in John chapter three, we meet a man named Nicodemus. He was one of those guys that seemed to have it all together. I mean, he was well-educated, he was wealthy, he was a leader among leaders. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now you say, what's that? In America, if you were to merge the Supreme Court uh, with Congress, you would have the power of the Jewish ruling council back in those days. So Nicodemus, he was a big deal. It was during this time uh, that Nicodemus, uh, this religious man, He had everything that you could think of, but yet there was something missing on the inside. There was a void on the inside of his life. And he was searching. And he had searched and searched and searched, but at this moment in his life, he still had not found what he was looking for. 
there's something missing. Some of you know what Nicodemus feels like because your life could be described as a search or you are searching for something. Nicodemus, during that season in his life, he heard about this new rabbi named Jesus. And he heard that Jesus had the power of God on his life and that he could perform signs and wonders. And this really intrigued him. And he had this desire to meet with Jesus, but he didn't want anybody to know that he was going to meet with Jesus. So he arranged a meeting with Jesus uh, after darkness during the the night. We pick it up in John chapter three, and we're going to read with the first several verses. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, very truly, I tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus asks, how? How can somebody be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and born of the Spirit. Now, Jesus made it very clear to Nicodemus that the only way that he could find what he was looking for is to be born again, to be born from above. Now, when Jesus said the words born again, that really baffled Nicodemus. All he could think was in his concrete way that how could that, that is physically impossible for that to happen. But you see, Jesus wasn't talking in physical terms. Jesus was talking in spiritual terms about a spiritual birth. And just to make sure that Nicodemus could understand what Jesus was saying, Jesus reiterated it. We pick it up in the next verse, verse 6. He said, flesh gives blessed to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. He said, you shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now it's interesting, when Jesus reiterated that phrase, he added the word must. He said, you must be born again. He didn't say, Nicodemus, I really recommend this. Nicodemus, I really feel like this is a good idea for you. Nicodemus, I really think you could consider this. He looked at Nicodemus and said, this is a must. You must be born again. Jesus is very clear. And you've got to understand, Jesus is talking to one of the most religious people of the day. Nicodemus was a good man. He was a well-respected man in the community. He was a religious man, but he wasn't saved. Now, do you know the difference between being, having religion and being saved? Now, I grew up in the Old South, and in and, and those days, I can remember my dad talking about somebody, maybe across the town, that got saved, okay? And he would say, oh, did you hear about, did you hear about Bill? He got religion. And that was just how they talked, that, yeah, he got religion. 
But you know, there's a difference between religion and a relationship. There's a difference between having religion and being saved. You see, you can summarize all of the world's religions in one word, and you spell that word D-O. It's all the things, the list of things that you do to make an angry God happy with you. And some religions come and said, yes, there are five things that you must do. And another one comes and said, no, no, there are 10 things. There are top 10 things that you must do. And another one, religion said, no, there's 15. Another says, no, there's 20. It's all about the things they have to do. These are the things you have to do to make God like you. But you see, salvation is not based on the word do, D-O. It's based on the word done, D-O-N-E. It's already been done. It's a gift. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he stretched out his hands on the cross and he said these words, it is finished. It is finished. What does that mean? That salvation was complete. That Jesus had paid for all of the bad things that you and I have done. That on the cross that day, that he paid the penalty of our sin. And that we, when we accept the forgiveness of our sins, we're saved. So here's the point. Being born again is not a special kind of Christian it's how you become one. Being born again, it's just not a special kind of Christian. It is how you become one. We read Nicodemus' story, and Nicodemus re represents all of us. And so many people in this community. Nicodemus was a good man. He was a decent, tax-paying, law-abiding, upstanding citizen, but there was still something missing in his life. There was a void. There was a spiritual vacuum in his life. And all of his good deeds couldn't fill that void. He needed Jesus to fill the spiritual void in his life. And you and I do too. I meet a lot of people like Nicodemus. People who are searching. And so many of them have really not even figured out what they're searching for. They think that if they just had a little bit more that they'd be happy. More of what? more money? Do you think that if you had enough, a little bit more money, you'd be happy? Or maybe a, a, a new house or a new apartment or a new car? Nothing of the world's things will satisfy that deep longing on the inside of you. Nothing from this world is going to fill that spiritual void in your life. That can only be filled with a relationship with Jesus. You see, Nicodemus had it all except the very thing that he needed. 
He needed something. He needed something that the world couldn't provide. He needed an experience with Jesus himself. As he's processing this in this conversation, we drop down to the very next verse. He's processing this, trying to figure it all out. And he asks this question, how, how can all of this be? It was like he was so confused. How can this be? And Jesus used this nighttime conversation uh, to go a little bit deeper and share with Nicodemus the good news, the good news of the gospel. In fact, it is in this conversation with Nicodemus in the following verses that you will discover the most famous verse in all of the Bible. It's John 3, verse 16. John 3, 16, it's the most famous verse in the, in the Bible and it happened and it was written during this conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Someone has said, if, if you didn't even have a Bible, if all the Bibles in the world uh, were destroyed except one verse in the Bible in John three sixteen, that would be enough to convert the whole world. So what is John 3.16? Some of you have memorized this. That should be a goal for all of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the good news. That's the gospel and I believe every one of us can find hope and we can experience new life if we embrace four principles, four principles from John 3.16. Four principles from John 3.16. If you're gonna boil this verse down to four simple principles, it's God loved, God gave, we believe, and we live. It's as simple as that. God loved, God gave, we believe, and we live. So let's dive in. God loved. God created you to love you. Let that sink in. God created you to love you. You were created to be loved by God. Your first responsibility in life is not to do something. It's not to learn. It's not to serve. It's not to pray. It's not to give. All of those things are good. But your first responsibility is to receive something. And that is to receive the love of God. You're created to be loved by God. And he simply wants you to love him back. God wants a relationship with you. God wants a relationship. He wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you to experience his love because he knows some things need to be experienced, not explained. And so today, I just want you to open up your mind and open up your heart. And I want you to let God love you. I just want you to let God love you. Just receive the love of God. 
What do we know about the love of God? We know that it is wide enough to be everywhere. When we think about that, it is wide enough to be uh, everywhere. There is no place in this universe that God's love ends. No place. God's love is wide enough to be everywhere. It is in the bars of the inner city. It is in the red light district. It is in the slums. It is in the ghettos. It is in the country clubs of suburbia. God's love extends everywhere. It's wide enough, but it's also long enough. It's long enough to last forever. God's love is so much different than human love. Human love wears out. That's why we have conflict, and that's why we have divorces, and that's why we have people who are strange with one another. Human love often wears out, but God's love will never, ever wear out. God will never stop loving you. God's love is deep enough. God's love is deep enough to go in the depth of your pain and the depths of your difficulty and those problems that you so uh, struggle with. In the deepest and darkest depression that you may find yourself in, you'll find God's love in the deepest, darkest places of your soul. And God's love is high enough. It is high enough High enough to to overlook your sins and overlook your mistakes in Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, in his forgiveness, he erases our mistakes. He separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. He takes our sin and he casts them in the deepest sea. There are four things that speak to us out of John 3, 16. The first one is God loved. Here's the second one, God gives. God gave. What did God give? God knew that you needed a savior. God knew that I needed a savior. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that night about this good news. And you notice in this conversation that God didn't send an angel and God didn't send a prophet and God didn't send a moral leader. God didn't send a good man. God sent his son. God cared enough to send his very best. God sent his son to save you. And you may say, Why do I need a savior? Why do I need to be saved? The Bible says that heaven is a perfect place. And in heaven, there are no mistakes and no inconsistencies. It's perfect and only perfect people go to heaven. Well, that's a problem. Because none of us are perfect. And we cannot get to heaven on our own effort. And so God devised a plan where we could get to heaven on somebody else's ticket. And so Jesus was perfect and Jesus came to this earth and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. This is the good news. And it's not something that we can buy a ticket on our own. 
But this ticket is given to us as a gift. Jesus paid the ticket. God so loved the world that he gave. You can't earn it and you don't deserve it. It's called grace. We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was a part of his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. Now, what is grace? Now, grace is undeserved kindness. It's when God gives you what you need, not what you deserve. Grace is when God gives you what you need and not what you deserve. Grace is the fact that God knows every dumb mistake that I'll ever make and he still chose to create me anyway. Grace is the fact that God knew every sin that you would um, fall victim to in every bad decision, and yet he still chose to, uh, to, uh, to create you anyway. God loves you, and that's the grace of God. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. I don't bargain for it. It's a flat out, a gift of God's grace. It is a present to me. So God so loved the world that he gave. Here's the third thing. We believe, we believe. God loved, God gave, we believe. I believe that my life can be changed when I trust Jesus in every area. I believe that my life can be changed when I trust Jesus in every area. To believe means to have faith. He said, whoever believes in him should not perish. To believe means to trust in, to rely on, to surrender to, to commit to. To believe in Jesus means that I trust him with every area of my life. Faith is believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin and he made it a way so that I could be right with God. Having faith with God, saying, God, I trust you. I trust you with uh, my life. I trust you with my career. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my finances. Every area of my life, I say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I commit to you. I depend on you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust him because I know him. You don't trust somebody that you don't know. And so that's why I wanna encourage you to get to know Jesus today. Because as you get to know Jesus, you will trust him. Because he is faithful and he is true, he is loving and he is kind. And we believe he has a plan for your life. He has a plan for you. How do you get to know him? Will you draw near to him? This is the message of James chapter four and verse eight. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James is saying that you can find God and you can find God through Jesus. 
Nicodemus that night uh, found the way to God. He found it through Jesus Christ. And what we see in Nicodemus' story is he was redeemed. Redeemed is one of those spiritual terms that have a practical meaning on the outside of of the um, Christian world. Redeemed means it was uh, to be set free. It was, it's like when you are, before you're saved, you are enslaved to your sins. But Jesus came and bought you, paid that ticket, so you, he redeems you off, um, off of uh, the marketplace. He redeems you. That's what it means to be redeemed. He paid to set us free. Now, whenever you're bound... Whatever's restricting you in your life, just know this, Jesus came to set you free. I love the words of John chapter eight. It says, and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And just because you're free, you're free doesn't mean that it's gonna happen instantly, that you're gonna change. You're gonna have to walk this freedom out. You're gonna have to learn what it means to walk in freedom. And as you do this, you're going to be able to to do things that you previously could not do because God is going to give you grace and God is going to give you power and you're going to be able to get through those things that have been holding you back. It is learning out how to walk out the freedom. Jesus has come. He's redeemed you. He has set you free. But not only that, he has justified you. And say, what does that mean to be justified? It is like just if I'd never sinned. We believe that Jesus is the Savior. He has redeemed us. He has justified us. Now, here's the fourth thing. God loved, God gave. We believe and we live. We live. I get to choose where I will live in eternity. John 3, 16 said, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, we don't like to talk about death very much. It's, it's very interesting. It's interesting how shocked we are when somebody dies. Oh, did you hear? Oh, I cannot believe they died. And it's shocking to us. But the truth of the matter is that the death rate is still hovering just around 100%. Just around 100%. It's not quite 100%. There are two people in the Bible that did not die, Enoch and Elijah. But it's hovering that. And I think the reason that we get so shocked when we hear somebody has passed on because we have this low-grade denial inside of us. Oh, it may happen to them, but it's never going to happen to me. And we feel like that if we just don't talk about it and we just don't think about it, it's not going to happen to me. But folks, all of us will pass over um, and pass um, on one day. And the question is that when we stand before God, are we prepared? It's going to happen. This is the message of Hebrews 9 and 27. It says, and just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment. So there will be a day when you and I 
will stand before a holy God and we will give an account of our one and only life. You're going to stand before God. And you're going to give an account. And I believe based on your decision, you will either live in eternity with Christ or live in eternity without Christ. You are going to live in eternity one place, but you get to choose. It's your choice. You don't have to wonder where you're going to spend eternity. You don't have to wonder about that. You can know. And some people really struggle if they're going to live in heaven or if they're going to go to hell. And why would a loving God send somebody to hell? I don't believe that God sends anybody to hell. I believe that God will look at each one of us and says, based on your decision, based on your choice, your choice to live with Christ, in Christ, or apart from Christ, based on your decision, I will now grant you your request for eternity. That's how it works. You get to choose. You get to choose. With that in mind, I want you to consider looking at John three sixteen once again. Where it says, for God so loved the world. Let's pause for a moment. Where it says the word world, I want you to take the word world out of the verse for a moment. And in that space, I want you to put your name. For God so loved your name. For God so loved Marty. For God so loved Patty. For God so loved Bill. For God so loved Thomas. For God so loved. Put your name in it. For God so loved you. That he sent his one and only son. That if you, if you would believe your name, if you would believe you would not perish, but you would have eternal life. God loves, God gives, I believe, and I live. I saw today's drama probably for the first time around 30 years ago. And when I saw that, the, very, the words at the very end of that drama really stuck with me. And honestly, I've seen hundreds of dramas before, hundreds. But this one stuck with me because the last sentence that she said haunts me. And it has haunted me for three decades. I want to believe in God and Jesus, but I just can't.
When I hear that, I think about people who are far from God. I think about some of you where you're just going through the motions that you're trying to check boxes and try to do your religious thing, but you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I think about my friends. I think about some of my family members. How they push God out away from them. How they're prodigals. And maybe you have some prodigals in your family. Maybe you are a prodigal. And you're out there and you're searching and you're searching and you haven't found what you're looking for. Let me say this. God has placed a spiritual void, a vacuum, a hole in your heart. And you can work and work and work and trying to fill it with all kinds of stuff, but it's never going to satisfy. The only thing that's going to satisfy you is that when you have your heart filled with the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus, and this is not something you earn or something you deserve. It is something you receive. And today, I want you to receive the love of Jesus. I want you to put your faith in Jesus. Here in this auditorium at our South Campus and those that are watching online and those that are watching on demand. Today is your day to trust Jesus with your life. Today is your day to put Jesus first. Today is your day to be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. And I realize some of you think you're hopeless. Some of you think that you're unworthy. Some of you think, oh, I'm just too old for that. Some of you think, oh, I'm just too young for that. Some of you think maybe you're too bad. Or some of you think you're just too good. Some of you think that you don't even need God, but you do. And the good news is this, is God has been looking for you. And God has been knocking on the, your, the door of your heart. And God has been wooing you and encouraging you. And that is why you're watching today. That is why you're in this auditorium today. That is why you're in our South Campus today. Because God ordered your footsteps to be here so that you could hear this message and hear this preacher plea with you to come to Jesus today. Be saved today. Give your life to him. Stop playing a game. Stop um, just going in circles. But today is your day. And I'm telling you, the decision to follow Jesus and to give him your life will be the best decision that you have ever made. Well, it's time to pray. And it's time for you to make that decision. Am I going to accept Jesus or today am I going to reject Jesus? As we think about that for a moment, I want you to very reverently to stand together. In this auditorium, I want you to stand together on our South Campus. And over the next few minutes, let this, uh, this room um, be a place of prayer. And for those believers that are listening to me, pray like you've never prayed. 
Because people today are making the most important decisions of their life. I want everybody to bow their heads, nobody looking around. I just wanna talk to you. Those of you that the Lord has ordered your footsteps to be here today because you need to be saved. How many of you would be courageous enough to raise your hand and say, Marty, you're talking to me. I wanna be saved today. Across this auditorium. Yes, anybody else? Yes, still others, still others. Yes, anybody else? Yes, yes, over here. You can put them down now. Anybody else? Across this room, yes. I wanna pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we stand here in your presence, I am praying for these individuals in this room, those in our South Campus, those watching online, that they're saying that today, God, I need help. I need to be saved. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, say that. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Say that. Say, forgive me of my sins. I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person that you would have me to be. Jesus, save me. I give you my past. Say that, God, I give you my past. I trust you with my future. Say, God, I trust you with the days ahead. Fill me with your presence in Jesus' name. Now, fathers, they pray that prayer. I ask that you do the miracle, that only you can do the miracle of salvation. I also pray, God, for people across this room that are rededicating their lives, people on our South Campus that are coming back to Jesus today. I am praying, Father, for those, Lord, that uh, are standing here, and as they're standing here, they're sensing uh, the need to pray for a prodigal. And so, Father, we call out prodigals, and some of them are friends, and some of them are our loved ones, maybe our mom or dad, our brother or sister or son or daughter. God, we pray, God, that, that this message of the good news would cover our family and would cover our friend. God, not only do we pray for our family and our friends, but we pray for our workplace today. Lord, all the workplaces that are of the people that are represented in this room, I pray in the name of Jesus that as we lead up to Easter, that you would give us an opportunity, Lord, to encourage people and to say, why don't you come to church with me this Easter? Father, I pray, Lord, uh, for the prodigals, uh, not only at our workplace, but I pray, Father, for the people in this community. I pray, God, that you would send revival. God, I pray for revival in our state. God, let the presence of your spirit, Lord, come and move in our state. God, we pray for our country. God, we pray that this would be a season where your spirit would rest upon us. And we as believers are crying out, God, for you to move like never before, that you would allow a spiritual awakening in America so that it would spread not only from our shores, but across the world. We are praying for this and we are believing this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. If you made that decision to follow Christ today, I want you to do one of two things. You can stop by our prayer room right across the lobby and there'll be somebody there to talk with you. Or you can also um, text the word decided and um, uh, 706-222-7123. Just text that word decided and there'll be people that'll help you. Thanks so much for being here. And next week's Palm Sunday. Uh, 
I'll tell you, more people are open to come to church during the Easter season almost than any other time of the year, Easter and Christmas. So this is the time. If they only come to church one or two times of the year, guess what? We love them and we want them at Stevens Creek. So help me with that. Be blessed. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.